Good morning, church. Can you please turn to page 4 of the bulletin for today's scripture reading? Today's scripture is taken from Exodus chapter 23, verses 20 to 33. Behold, I send an angel before you to guard you on the way and to bring you to the place that I have prepared. Pay careful attention to him and obey his voice. Do not rebel against him, for he will not pardon your transgression, for my name is in him. But if you carefully obey his voice and do all that I say, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. When my angel goes before you and brings you to the Amorites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites, the Hivites and the Jebusites, and I blot them out, you shall not bow down to their gods, nor serve them, nor do as they do, but you shall utterly overthrow them and break their pillars in pieces. You shall serve the Lord your God, and he will bless your bread and your water, and I will take, take sickness away from among you. None shall miscarry or be barren in your land. I will fulfill the number of your days. I will send my terror before you and will throw into confusion all the people against whom you shall come. And I will make all your enemies turn their backs to you. And I will send hornets before you, which shall drive out the Hivites, the Canaanites, and the Hittites from before you. I will not drive them from before you in one year, lest the land become desolate and the wild beasts multiply against you. Little by little, I will drive them out from before you until you have increased and possessed the land. And I will set your border from the Red Sea to the Sea of the Philistines and from the wilderness to the Euphrates. For I will give the inhabitants of the land into your hand and you shall drive them out before you. You shall make no covenant with them and the gods. They shall not dwell in your land, lest they make you sin against me. For if you serve the gods, it will surely be a snare to you. This is the word of the Lord. Your grace. Lord bless you, church. Now, increasingly, I value every opportunity I get to be with all of you on the Lord's Day. I'm sure most, if not all of you, know this. This past week, the COVID-19 situation globally has worsened. The WHO has declared COVID-19 to be a pandemic. So WHO declared this past week officially pandemic, and the term means an outbreak of a new pathogen that spreads easily from person to person across the globe. And most of you will have known or heard about Prime Minister Lee's speech on Thursday on how we in Singapore need to respond to this escalating situation. Now, I'm very thankful for our government, how they are doing their utmost, their very best to tackle this health crisis. And as a church, we must continue to be praying for our national leaders during this time. That if you've not been doing that, let's be doing so this coming week, praying every day for them. Then on Friday, there was another report with our government saying that ticketed cultural sports and entertainment events with 250 participants or more are to be deferred or cancelled. Now, ours is not a ticketed cultural sports or entertainment event, so that does not refer to us. Then for the other gatherings like ours, the government says reduce the scale of events to be below 250, 250 participants where possible. Now the key phrase is where possible. Now in case you are wondering though, in our worship hall, we have less than 250 in our gathering every Sunday since the start of this year. Last Sunday was 216 adults here. The week before was 220 adults. So it's continually below 250. Then we have another small group of children and teachers that meet at Agape land on top. Now I must say, this is a very, very challenging period for churchgoers. Some of you might literally have to sneak out of your house, like, shh, don't tell people I'm going to church. 
right? It's like you get found out that people say, oh, you go to church, so irresponsible, mass gathering, right? Got space between your church and all that or not. Shame on you, go to church. It's not easy, right? Now it's as though like you know, being caught seated beside one another is worse than being caught watching porn. Like distance purity has become more important than sexual purity. Then there are some of you actually who may be under the vulnerable group or you may have families and loved ones who are under the vulnerable group. And it's not easy to make that decision. You don't want to infect them. It always carries a possibility if you travel outside mass gatherings. It literally takes faith for you to come to church right now, for many of us. And as your pastor, I want to say this to all of you. The very fact that you're here, I appreciate that. It takes faith. And I appreciate your faith. That faith comes from God Himself. So the Lord bless all of you for making that decision even as you take that leap of faith. And for people who are at home watching, if you're unwell, God bless you too. They're taking those measures, being socially responsible. That's how we love one another, right? Doing a time like this. Now here in Agape, we take note of the governmental directives and we seek to discern what makes most sense for us, right? So we make plans accordingly. Uh, Prime Minister Lee had especially urged religious leaders to make practical adjustments to our services, to our plans for gatherings. So this past week, we actually have decided to make some adjustments. And I will be letting you know in today's sermon later on what those adjustments are. I won't tell you now. Keep you in suspense during the sermon itself. Now, but listen, there's one perspective that must not be forgotten, which is the spiritual aspect. For us as Christians, the spiritual aspect is so crucial for us to think rightly. It is foundational. It is foundational, the spiritual aspect. So for today's sermon, I want to especially provide us spiritual perspectives on how to think in this current situation in light of God's Word. Now today, you're going to hear the last sermon in the Exodus season 3, and God willing, if Christ does not return soon, we will have Exodus season 4 in the second half of the year. So last Sunday, we considered the many rules that follow from the Ten Commandments and how they reveal to us a God who is just, who is holy. And through all these instructions, He sets His people apart to love Him and love others. As God establishes this covenant graciously with His people, He does not just tell them what they need to do. He reveals to them what they can expect from Him as they prepare to enter Canaan, their promised land. And we see that here, especially in today's chosen passage. Here in Exodus 23, we see that for all whom God has graciously called to Himself, He calls them to have faith in Him. In other words, God sets His people apart for a life of faith in Him. And the same principle applies. The same principle that was true for Israel applies to us today too. Now, if you are a Christian set apart for God, necessarily you're called to a life of faith in God. We are sojourners in this temporal world. We are on a journey to a heavenly city, which is the promised land for us. And as we go on this journey, our faith will be tested in this temporal world. Necessarily so, cannot be avoided. As, comfortable as, as uncomfortable as it may be, it's actually a good thing. Apostle James in James chapter 1 tells us that through trials of various kinds, the testing of your faith will produce steadfastness. Significant growth in our character happens through this testing. So ask yourself this question right now. In your relationship with God right now, do you find your faith being tested, being stretched? Do you find your faith being tested, being stretched? Now, oftentimes, the test will reveal the truth in your heart, whether you are actively putting your faith in God or putting your faith in something else. If there's no testing, no stretching, sometimes you wouldn't even know the reality of the faith you have. If you're not a Christian and you're here with us today, I invite you also to consider what life will be like if your faith is in God. We actually all have faith in something. And honestly, given how uncertain life is, you want to put your faith in what is most lasting, most enduring, most trustworthy. You want to put your faith in what does not just snap when you test it, when you stretch it. And if you go on a search, 
I believe you will find what is most appropriate. The most appropriate object of faith is not something, it is a someone. It is God who himself has been revealed to the scriptures. And the reason you can be confident in having faith in God is because of who he is. Because of who he is. So now for our purposes today, I'll be looking at today's text and deriving the following. Three faith steps in the journey towards the promised land. Three faith steps in the journey towards the promised land. Now these principles apply in Israel's journey towards Canaan as it is for our journey towards heaven. And I'll be revealing these three faith steps one by one as I go through this sermon. So here's the very first step. Number one, trust in God. Trust in God. Now this notion of trusting in God is a very common theme in the Bible. We trust God wherever He leads us. Yet one of the things that's very easy to miss in this passage is how dangerous the leading of the Lord feels. In leading Israel out of Egypt, God is not leading them to a place <clears throat> where there's immediate sense of peace and order, calmness and harmony. In establishing this covenant with His people, God promises them a land, the land of Canaan. Now this is the land of promise first given to Abraham in Genesis 15. So God, you can see, He keeps His promises and is being fulfilled. But here, we see implicitly that entering this place is potentially fraught with danger along the way. By this time in Exodus 23, many people groups had already settled there. You heard some of those names. The Amorites, the Hittites, Perizzites, Canaanites, Hevites, Jebusites. There's another group not mentioned in this passage called Gergeshites as well. So seven people groups in total. And they all worship other gods. They live in the land of Canaan. And biblically speaking, sometimes when the inhabitants of Canaan are mentioned, just a few representative groups are named to refer to them as a whole. So keep that principle in mind. Sometimes they just name a few to refer to them as a whole. Not all seven are always mentioned. So for Israel then, these groups were already there in Canaan. Now sometimes these groups are called Canaanites as a whole. So for my sermon, I'm just going to do that. I'll just call them Canaanites as a whole. So the Canaanites were there, hostile to Israel. Israel. Israel cannot move in. They first need to be driven out. And some Israelites might be wondering, what kind of a covenant is this? God, can't you just bring us to somewhere safer? Isn't there an empty plot of land somewhere that we could just settle down in? Why must it be Canaan? And you know what? Going there would feel unmistakably scary. There is no way God's people can proceed without proper faith. If they place, if they place their faith in anything else, as they actually did, they won't be able to make it. The only way is to really trust God and know the kind of trust that is expected. In this passage, God is not saying to them, don't worry people, nobody's there at Canaan, this land is great, there's no problem, just go. That's easy to trust. You take a look at a situation and you may say to God, I trust you. But actually deep down, you're just trusting what you see. Verbally you say you trust God, inwardly your trust is in the external reality. Take COVID-19 for example. If we ask someone in Singapore, right, just anybody, ask, are you scared? Are you afraid of COVID-19? And a person, suppose he's a Christian, he may say, no, I trust God. I trust God. Now, how do we know whether he's really trusting God or not? Now, if the person is very young and healthy, he could actually be trusting in the fact that young people, generally speaking, seems to have milder symptoms. He could also be confident that the Singapore government has the situation under control. And even if he does get infected, Singapore healthcare is good enough. So when you say, I trust God, and you mean it, it actually means even if you are in the vulnerable group, say 80 years old and above, with pre-existing medical condition, even if you are in Italy, even if the hospitals are at breaking point, they have no place, no time for you, and people ask you, are you scared? And you look to the heavens and say, I trust God. I trust God. Now that's faith. That's faith. And if we were to be honest with ourselves, that is not easy. We oftentimes doubt in times of trial. 
We sometimes doubt that God hears us when we pray. We sometimes doubt that God's promises will come to pass. And we sometimes doubt that God is really working all things together for good. Look at the global situation, you wonder, is God really working all things together for good? Adam and Eve doubted when they ate of the fruit. Abraham doubted when he had no heir. Moses doubted when he stood before Pharaoh. David doubted in anger and fear when he did not take the Ark of the Covenant home. And Thomas doubted when he heard about the risen Christ. Throughout all of Scripture, we see stories of God's people wrestling with doubt. If you are a doubtful Christian, you're not the first one. Yet God was merciful to them. And so God is merciful to us. This is actually part of a Christian's journey of faith. Every Christian goes through it at, multiple, at some point, if not at multiple points. We wrestle with our doubts. Here God is effectively saying, don't trust what you see. Have faith in me. In some cases like this one, you don't even need to pray away the danger. Because my plan is to bring you even closer. But have faith in me that when I bring you into the midst of danger, I will fight for you. I will fight for you. That's what God is saying. Here's the truth. True faith requires belief in God's fight for you amidst danger. True faith requires belief in God's fight for you amidst danger. In this passage, we see how God assures His people. Specifically, He tells them He's sending them someone who will be present with them, guarding them, leading them. God says this in verse 20. Behold, I send an angel before you to guard you on the way and bring you to the place that I have prepared. Now notice the word angel in Hebrew. It actually just means messenger. It doesn't always refer to one of the angelic beings. Sometimes that word is used to refer to human beings. Sometimes to a divine person. As we see in Exodus chapter 3 verse 2 where the angel of the Lord appears to Moses at the burning bush. Now, what about this particular angel? Alongside many others, I believe this angel refers to the pre-incarnate Christ. Here, the description fits Christ. The passage tells us in verse 21, God's name is in the angel. God's name is in the angel. That's very revealing. And this angel has authority to forgive, withhold forgiveness, punish the people for their rebellion. It's clear that what this angel says is deemed as equivalent to what God himself says. This is no ordinary angel, but the pre-incarnate Christ himself. In this extraordinary way, God promises to fight like a warrior, to blot out the enemies of God for his people. For the Israelites then, God was saying, Behold my angel warrior who represents me. And to us today, God would say even more clearly, Behold, my son, Jesus Christ, who represents me. God promises his presence to guard his people. For many people right now, they look at the global situation, they're bombarded, bombarded literally every day by all the bad news. And this past week, early in the week, they say, Oh no, COVID-19 is here to stay. COVID-19 is here to stay. And what do we as Christians do? We look at God's word and renew our hearts and minds with the good news. We remember that God has promised. He has promised to be with his people. We remember Yahweh, our Lord, as he had revealed himself in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. Last year, midway through a sermon, I asked all of you to sing a particular song that I learned in Agape. It's entitled Yahweh. So many of you know this. Yahweh, Yahweh. I feel led to do this again. So we're going to do this right now. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet right now. You can put away your notes for a bit. Can you just stand to your feet? We're going to sing this a cappella style, all right? I'm going to fill this hall and singing together. Now, most of us should know this. If you don't know, you can join along as you hear the others, okay? So we're going to sing this together. You can take, follow my lead, all right? One, two, three. Yahweh, Yahweh. Faithful God, you're here to stay. Yahweh, Yahweh, forever and always the same. Beautiful. We're going to sing this one more time, but this time round, 
Let's sing in faith and pray this over Singapore, over the nations, over this viral situation. Can we sing this in faith one more time? One, two, three. Yahweh, Yahweh, faithful God, you're here to stay. Yahweh, Yahweh, forever and always the same. Praise the Lord. Take a seat. Thank you. Beautiful. If people would ask you, have you heard the news? Oops, it's already up. If people ask you, have you heard the news? Do you know that COVID-19 is here to stay? And then they say, yes, I've heard that. But, I've heard the, but have you heard the greater news? Yahweh, our faithful God, He's here to stay forever and always the same. Don't lose sight. We have a supernatural God. He promised it. He's not a liar. He's not a liar. In verses 25 to 27, uh, God makes it clear that He's the one who is fighting. He frightens the enemies with His divine terrors. He throws them into confusion. They will run away in battle. He says He will send out hornets to drive them out. Now, when God says hornets, contextually, it could be literal, it could be figurative, but regardless, the point is clear. God is in sovereign control, and He's the one who will gain victory for His chosen people. Now, notice how God doesn't just plan for the final outcome. He's got a final outcome in mind. He knows it already, right? So He doesn't just plan for that. In the way He fights for His people, He even plans His timing to perfection. He, times, time, he plans His timing to perfection. He says He will not drive out His enemies all at once. He says he would take more than a year. More than a year, why so long? This is what he says. Exodus 23, 29 to 30. I will not drive them out before you in one year, lest the land become desolate and the wild beasts multiply against you. Little by little, I will drive them out before you until you have increased and possessed the land. Now literally he's saying the small number of Israelites gathered at Mount Sinai will be unable to properly cultivate an area the size of the promised land. If the Canaanites were driven out too quickly, the land will be wasted. There will be too many wild animals. So God will time His intervention in such a way that the people would have increased sufficiently in population to take over the land fully. In other words, God says He will time His intervention little by little in such a precise way that it will end up working maximally for the good of His chosen people. What's troubling for God's people may continue longer than desired, but it's always for a good reason. God knows best. Now here's the truth, church. When God fights for us, the duration may take longer than what we prefer. But the outcome would be better than what we imagine. Better than what we imagine. If you recognize that you're not wiser than God, if you recognize that God sees all things, knows all things, ordains all things, controls all things, and that He is for you and not against you, then you can find rest in His fight for you. You can find rest in the victory He secures for you. Trust in God. He knows best. And if you put your faith in Him, He will do what is best for you. That's number one. Trust in God. Number two, obey God's commands. Obey God's commands. Now, as God promises to fight for His people, He does not just call them to sit and wait passively for Him as mere spectators. He expects something out of His people specifically obedience to His commands. Here in this passage, God tells His people that they are to be attentive to the angel, listen to His voice. They are to carefully obey His voice and do everything the Lord says. If they do so, they can trust God to fully drive out the Canaanites who have been involved in gross idolatry. Specifically, this is what God tells His people. Exodus 23, 24. You shall not bow down to their gods or serve them, nor do as they do. 
but you shall utterly overthrow them and break their pillars in pieces. Now, so there are two sets of instructions here. First, they are forbidden to worship the God of the Canaanites. Secondly, they are to destroy the idols and sacred stones of the Canaanites. Now, here's a question that is worth asking as you read this. Why is it that Israel would be tempted to worship local Canaanite deities? Why is it that they would be tempted? What is, it, what is the appeal in that for them? The answer is that in the ancient world, agricultural success was often attributed to the worship of all these foreign gods by offering sacrifices. In Canaan, there was an existing, already an existing way of life, a culture that was inherently opposed to the ways of God. So if you're an Israelite, the temptation over time in Canaan would be to blindly follow their practices, cultivate the way they cultivate, plant the way they plant, worship the way they worship. Specifically, the Canaanites also had carved and inscribed idols. They were all associated with pagan idolatry. So God is telling them, don't just move them away out of sight. That's not enough. You've got to destroy them, right? All those idols made of wood, overlaid with gold and silver, destroy them by burning them. Those sacred stones, you have to destroy them by smashing them. Now, if the Israelites had obeyed God fully, they would have taken over Canaan just as God had promised. And the fact is though, they didn't. They were disobedient. Not just this generation of Israelites that did not make it to the promised land, but also the next generation of Israelites. If you continue reading on in the Bible, as you do that chapter a day, you would discover that later on, even during the time of Joshua, who succeeded Moses, and during the time of the judges, they did not complete the conquest. They were canonized that they did not drive out, and the Israelites adopted some of their pagan practices. So historically speaking, Israel never took full possession of the land until the time of David, which was later than what God was offering in today's text. Now, you may recall if you've been following this sermon series that I mentioned last Sunday, God did not tell His people to hate their enemies. He never used that phrase, hate your enemies. And it's true. There is no such commandment. So you may actually wonder when you reach this point, why is it that there's this conquest of enemies going on? Now, the truth is that the Canaanites were under God's divine judgment. Remember, our God is patient. And it's only after more than 400 years of grievous, unrepentant evil that they were to be exterminated. So God, being the divine judge, is not sadistically cruel. He's administering divine justice. And note this, God is not averse to Canaanites repenting and worshipping Him. The most classic example is Rahab, the prostitute mentioned in Joshua chapter 2. She's a Canaanite, and she was the one who helped the Israelites spy in Jericho. She saw, she saw allegiance to the Lord. In Hebrews chapter 11, in the hall of faith, she's held up as an example of faith. She's even included in the genealogy of Jesus, Matthew chapter 1. So God welcomes Canaanites to worship Him, if they were to worship Him. So God is holy and just. He will indeed punish all the wicked for their sins in due time. But you would also see He is a merciful God who shows mercy to all who cry out to Him. Now what does this mean for all of us who have received God's mercy? What does this mean for all of us today who recognize our sinfulness and our need for forgiveness from Jesus? For us as Christians today, there are no physical land, no physical people that we need to drive out, or any earthly land we need to take over. But we do share something in common with the Israelites in Mount Sinai. We are set apart to obey God's commandments, to worship Him alone, to serve Him alone. We are set apart to worship, to serve. That means as God's people, God's voice must ring louder than any other voice in this world. God's voice must ring louder than any other voice in this world. Now, you know, one of the very helpful measures in containing the spread of COVID-19, and I mentioned just now, is what people call social distancing. Keep a distance between yourself and others. The other day, I was just walking, and unexpectedly as I was walking, I just let out an unexpected cough. <laughs> Are you trying to control? I was taken by surprise myself. I didn't expect it. 
Then I looked ahead and I saw the person in front of me. He looked like, she looked like she saw a ghost. She paused a little bit and then she skirted and continued. And you know how tense it is, everyone right now in Singapore, and I imagine across the world, one cough, one sneeze, everyone's antenna goes up, right? So again and again and again, you hear in the news, social distancing, social distancing, social distancing. And of course, in your mind, if the distance is so great that no respiratory droplets can touch you, you don't get to touch any of the surfaces infected with the COVID-19 virus, then obviously you can't get infected, right? Logically, that makes sense. And now clearly there is value in that. As the government officials say, we do want to slow down the spread, flatten the epidemic curve, as they call it, not overwhelm the healthcare system, right? That's the thinking behind it. So it's good. It's good that those who are unwell are choosing to stay at home, rest at home, by watching live stream at home. That's why we provide that. So many churches doing that. It's wonderful. In fact, there are a lot of people watching uh, sermons live stream right now across the world. It's a wonderful thing. We celebrate that. People who might not be going to church, right? Now they're looking, watching. That's a good thing, even during this crisis. So people are staying at home, seeing a doctor quickly rather than spread their illnesses to other, others. So social distancing, especially during this season, has value. And no one is denying that. No one is denying that. All of that is good. That's being socially responsible. But let's add the spiritual element into picture. If you are a Christian and your mind is fixated on social distancing, how to live so that you won't infect others and others won't infect you. And that is what is dominating your mind. You would have gotten your priorities wrong in your journey towards the promised land. That's the wrong priority. A good thing like appropriate social distancing would have become an ultimate thing for you. And you know now, church, we understand that. A good thing becoming an ultimate thing is never a good thing. If you're actively obeying God's commands, your primary concern is not social distancing. You'll be far more concerned about sin distancing. Sin distancing. You'll be praying when you awake in the morning, Oh Lord, I set myself apart for you this day. I will distance myself from sin, from gossip, from bitterness, from unforgiveness, from anxiety. I can feel those stirrings, oh Lord. I will distance myself from sin. I will destroy the idols in my life. I will serve and worship you alone. That's your act of consecration. That's your act of obedience. Christians are different. We distance from sin. That's our top priority, to honor our God and Savior. And doing so means you don't conform to the patterns of this world, to the same fears, to the same anxieties, to the same need for control. We act differently, we think differently because we are transformed by the renewal of our minds. Now listen carefully. I'm not saying as a church, now this, from a church perspective, I'm not saying as a church we will never adopt further social distancing measures or make practical adjustments. Based on a very fluid situation right now, we need to be nimble, prepared to make quick adjustments. And the church leadership will continue to make plans for contingencies. We are a church in Singapore, and we want to actively do our part to bless Singapore. All these measures thus far, on temperature taking, contact tracing, no handshakes, are steps that we have taken to do our part. Now, in addition, we have also decided on two new practical adjustments moving ahead, and our elders are in agreement on this. Now, there may be more practical adjustments that we're making, right? We're still in the midst of discussion. We'll be discussing further this week. But at this point, we've decided on two practical adjustments. And so now, these are the two. Two practical adjustments for our church. Okay, first one. Stop bus and bond over food for a time being, starting next Sunday. Now, after our service, you realize we usually do buzzing and bonding over food. We will discontinue that starting next Sunday. So today will be the last Sunday. <laughs> Enjoy yourself. Now, bus and bond over food has been a big part of one Dorset culture over the years. It's what we value, actually. It's more than just the food itself. It's the whole value of community, church community. It's one of our core values. That's why we don't just remove it hastily. We take time to pray and consider. And we really wanted to continue with it, but we will discontinue for the time being. We'll still mingle and have fellowship after the service, but this reduced interaction over food after the service is our way of stepping out measures in our church. And then the second thing, 
church camp, JB 2020 this year. Many of you are asking. In February, I mentioned that the church camp will continue, but we'll be monitoring the situation. So this past week, the elders have decided afresh that this church camp in JB in June 2020 will be postponed to June 2021. Postponed to June 2021. Now, actually, even 2021 is volatile. Not sure even if it's happening. It really depends whether Jesus Christ is coming back or not. <laughs> right? You laugh because you're, you're forgetting it, right? I keep, I keep on impressing upon you in case you forget that that's how Christians think. Lord, return. Come soon, Lord. Right? In Revelation, I'm coming soon. That's why he ends it that way. Right? Of course. So if he comes back, we have a plan. We're going to have our church camp in heaven. <laughs> right? And then all our brothers and sisters, we haven't forgotten them. We will never forget them. In Agape Baptist Church in heaven above, we'll have them with us and it'll be glorious, fantastic, right? Now at this point, in light of COVID-19 spread, we have asked the hotel in JB if we could postpone and they have very graciously agreed to let us do so. But based on next year's rates, we've already given the deposits, so thankfully we're able to postpone it latest to June next year. So we're still finding, fine-tuning the exact dates. Now, given the global situation now, we want to do our part for Singapore to limit infections from overseas. And Malaysia now is one of those countries that our government is now urging, discouraging non-essential travel. Now, we know our government's strategy. They are very, very concerned about imported cases. And we recognize that hundreds of churchgoers going out of Singapore and coming back in is a challenging problem for our authorities. So Agape Baptist Church is going to love our government, love our nation, by postponing this camp. We also know different ones of you would face difficulties going for various reasons, whether pressure from your bosses or maybe from very, very concerned family members who are not Christians, whatever, or it could be your own health issues. We don't want you to miss the camp. So we decided to do what's most loving for all of you in Agape here as well, which is God willing to have the camp next year. Now you see, church, as a people of faith, our motivations in decision-making are different. Even deciding to postpone church camp to 2020, it's not about being scared of infection. While the rest of the world is thinking, how can we best preserve ourselves? God's people are set apart to think differently. We think, how can we best be a blessing during this season? How can we best be a blessing during this season? Let that dominate your mind in big ways and small ways. So as a church, we make certain decisions to be a blessing to Singapore. Individually, we can also make certain decisions to be a blessing to Singapore. Now, case in point, last week I was running late for an appointment, so I booked a Grab car. So the amount says $9, so I booked. I look at the driver's face in the Grab car app, what do you do when you look at the driver's face in the Grab Car app? Start to pray for him, right? So I pray, 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 pray for a receptive heart to hear about Jesus, pray for wisdom on how to speak to him. So by the time the car is ready, comes ready, I say, okay, ready to go in. Take the front seat so that it's easier to talk. So go in, boom, say hello, start chatting, right? Talk about business, how is it? Of course, COVID-19, very easy entry point. Talk about COVID-19, how it affected him. Spoke about God, spoke about the perspective, Christian's perspective, how short our life is, how we need to trust in God and all of that. He shared his frustrations with me, so on and so forth. I could see throughout the trip, he was actually very irritated by this whole COVID-19 thing. The drop in earnings, which is, I think, some people is 50%, or maybe slightly less, but around there. And all this inconvenience caused, he was literally scolding the virus at one point. The stupid virus, stupid, stupid. Kept shaking his head. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. so after that, after a while, we reached our destination and I reached out for my wallet and every Grab driver would say, there's no need, no need, you've paid already, right? Grab pay, right? And I took out a $10 bill and then I passed it to him with two hands. I said, God bless you. God bless you. It's been really hard for you. God bless you for driving and serving our nation. This is to bless you and your family during this very difficult time. You should see his expression. Moved, stunned. I said, oh, I can't shake your hands, but thank you very much. Thank you very much. And I get out of the car, 
One more time. God bless you. Boom. Close. It feels wonderful. Jesus is right. Obedience is correct. It is more blessed to give than to receive. More blessed. Now, church, we are set apart as God's people. We are called to live radically different lives by faith. We don't serve and bow down to the God of self-interest, the God of self-preservation. We serve the God of sacrificial love, and we love not just in word, but in deed. Now, if you have the financial means, dip into your savings. Actively bless others in greater need than you. Since you're not spending it on overseas holidays, now can direct to bless many other people. And if you don't have the financial means, don't worry, right? This is, not, this is just one example. There's so many other ways of expressing tangible love to people during this time. Not just to taxi or grab drivers, but also healthcare workers, immigration officers, civil servants, public transport workers, cleaning staff, etc. You can write cards, you can take time to verbally affirm, appreciate, so many possibilities. The key is that we don't conform to the sinful, idolatrous patterns of this world. Grumbling, despairing, panicking. No, no, no. As Christians, in this dark, broken, fallen world, we seek to live obedient lives that actively glow with the light of Christ, that reflect the love of Christ to the people around us. We become Agape Baptist Church, reflecting that to people. That's how it means. That's what it means. To love, to live as Christians, to be an Agapian. And this brings me to my last point, the third faith step in the journey towards the promised land. Remember God's promise of blessing. Remember God's promise of blessing. Now in this passage, you see God's promise of blessing to His people. It is contingent on obedience. And these are very, very big promises. As you heard earlier, He promises to give them the land of Canaan. But here, what is like for them to enter the promised land? God says in verses 25 to 26, You shall serve the Lord your God, and He will bless your bread and your water. I will take sickness away from among you. None shall miscarry or be barren in your land. I will fulfill the number of your days. Long life. That's the blessing for God's people that comes from obedience. Now note this. Contextually, this were promises for God's specific people at a specific time for a specific purpose. And the Israelites actually never did fully experience this when they entered the land. Why? Because they had chosen to live in disobedience. Now for us today, this verse does not mean, do not mean that if we obey the Ten Commandments and all the law, we will never fall sick, we will never get COVID-19, we will never starve, we will have a long life. No, it doesn't mean that. It also does not mean when Christians suffer today, it is necessarily because of disobedience. We know that Jesus himself suffered and he promised his followers that we, they will not only suffer, they will also be hated by this world. So biblically speaking, we know that suffering will never fully end in this current world. In this world, there will be sicknesses, there will be COVID-19, maybe COVID-20, whatever names you want to give to new viruses or bacteria. There will be people who go through financial hardship. And right now, a lot of people are going through very, very tough times, retrenchment and all of that. Very challenging. There will be times like that. There will be people who will suffer the pain of miscarriages. There will be people whose lives will end abruptly. Christians included. Christians included, even as we trust God. But, and here is a very big but, as Christians, beyond temporal healing and protection, we have a saviour in Jesus Christ who through his perfect obedience and death for us on the cross, he has secured for us entry into the promised land, into that heavenly city where there will be no more sickness, no more tears, no more pain, no more death. And these verses will be a reality in that new covenantal way. We enter into a heavenly dwelling where suffering, epidemic and death will be no more. No more. Instead, there will be fullness of joy and eternal life forevermore. As we serve and worship the Lord here, we will also serve and worship the Lord there. 
And how are we to enter into this promised land? We enter not by our merits, not by our accomplishments. We enter by faith as the children of promise. That's our hope as Christians. But God's blessing is not just for the future. His blessings have already begun across the world. Jesus' work on the cross is redeeming the lost all over the globe, bring them back to God. Right? I mentioned just now, even though many churches are not able to have the services on a Sunday right now, the Lord's Day, there's live streaming going on. But even as it seems an impediment to gospel work, we know the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. That's a promise. And God Himself still moves mysteriously, powerfully, beyond our wildest imagination. During this period of time, I imagine somewhere in the world, I imagine a man on the verge of bankruptcy because of how the markets are crashing. He comes to see the futility of seeking earthly treasure or living a posh lifestyle. How blind he has been to his vain ambition. He gives his life to God. He learns true contentment. I imagine a husband having an affair with his mistress. And then he gets COVID-19. And he texts his mistress say, sorry, we cannot meet for the time being. And during those two weeks or more, where he's quarantined, he thinks and reflects and senses in his heart that God is telling him he needs to stop this affair. He comes before his wife, he confesses, he repents. By the grace of God, the marriage is restored. I imagine a woman who is disillusioned with her husband, who's always working, never at home. She's sick and tired of her husband who loves work more than he loves her. And the lack of communication is making their love grow cold. But this period, she keeps on seeing her husband at home. So the wife asks, why are you here? The husband says, business continuity plan. I'm working from home today. At home, husband and wife talk. They start to talk more. The husband realizes his idolatry to work that he never saw before COVID-19 came. He repents, starts to treasure his wife again. I imagine a teenage girl who feels that nobody really cares about her. Nobody cares. She feels emotionally disconnected. At home, she cuts herself. She's suicidal. Then she goes to school. She gets COVID-19. Suddenly, she sees her parents' concern. One time, she sees her parents on their knees begging God to heal her. And for the first time in her life, she realizes deeply her parents actually care. When she recovers, she bursts into tears. She tells them how she's been feeling all this while. And then the family of three sob. They hug one another so tight. The husband opens the word, leads the family in worship, thanking God for not just saving their daughter, but the family as well. I imagine many others across the globe as they despair, desperately looking to God. Now they're searching for hope more than ever before. Do you realize? Everybody's wondering. And realizing like, whoa, this world is not as what I think it is. All my hopes are dashed. Where can I find my hope? And then they look and they wonder and they search. We've got people, this Christian message right now, they've never considered the Christian message as seriously as they have socked it right now. And this is the power of the cross. God is redeeming His people, pulling them. People, can you sense in faith God's mighty movement across the globe, even in this crisis. They're not reported because no news will want to report this kind of thing. But idols of all kinds are coming, crashing down as God's Spirit moves across the globe. And this last story, I don't even need to imagine. My seven-year-old son in primary one, we named him Kayang. Seven years ago when he was born, I prayed to God in the hospital after he was delivered. First prayer, Kai means victorious, victorious in Christ. And Yang, we gave him two meanings. In Chinese, Yang, it could either mean Fei Yang, soar on wings like eagles. It also means Chuan Yang, spread. We wanted him to spread the gospel. This week when he went to school, on his own accord, he put a children's Bible in his bag. And he took it out in class at the right time, showed it to one of his friends. His friend flipped the Bible and said, whoa, ask him to read the Easter story to him. It's tight, crucifixion and resurrection, the children's Bible put it together. So Kayang read it to him. And Kayang said, after he had read the story to his friend, 
his friend's face became very serious. Primary one, very serious. Then Kayang told him, this story is true. Then Kayang asked him, do you like Pokemon cards more? Or do you like this more? <laughs> his friend said, pointed at the Bible. Just yesterday, Kayang told me, he told me that I'm scared that my friend will get COVID-19 without hearing about God. Are you scared that your friend will get COVID-19 without hearing about God? Three months of primary school life, this is the second classmate in the class he's spreading the gospel to. When Shirley first told me about this and then later on I went to check with Kayang, I teared in hearing this. Because immediately in my mind, I think of back of that very first prayer for Kayang in the hospital in 2013, when, my, when I laid my hands on him, and many years for him thereafter, every birthday we repeat that again. And I know my God has been faithful. God had answered my prayers to bless my son. For primary one, my son, Kayang is a super spreader a super spreader of the gospel in his school. Our God is working in him. Our God is working in us. Our God is working in this world to redeem the lost that they may enter the promised land where there is fullness of blessing forevermore. COVID-19 cannot stop God's plan. Cannot. It cannot. It cannot stop God's plan for his chosen people to possess His promises both in this lifetime and beyond. And we know as God's people, we can trust all of God's promises, all, every single one, because every single promise finds yes in Jesus Christ, amen through Jesus Christ. A virus that appears to be nothing but evil, God redeems it for good. God this season, God is setting His church apart preparing us and drawing many more currently outside the kingdom to enter the promised land, the heavenly city by faith. And in a time like this, we must continue to preach the gospel. Church, we must not be irresponsible. God has given us a divine, God-appointed responsibility. We must proclaim and spread the gospel. We must. Right now across the world, a lot of people are looking for a vaccine to end this virus once and for all. That's a good thing. We continue to pray for that. Let's continue to pray for all the researchers. But our ultimate hope as Christians is not in a vaccine that will restore this broken world to paradise. It's never about that. This world was never meant to be ever since the fall. It cannot be. Our ultimate hope is the same as all the men and women in history who have long gone before us, lived and gone before us. Our ultimate hope is in our crucified, resurrected and ascended Saviour Jesus Christ who has promised to return for us and bring us home to paradise. Let's pray.